now for the reading of our scripture this morning. From 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when, you see, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold, jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we are hungry to receive from your hand the bread of your word. We come as crouching beggars with nothing to add to this text. We only want to receive what is here from your hand. In the power of your Holy Spirit, God, may there be a holy flame ignited for the passion of your glory in the lives of wives and husbands today, in women and men today. And may we be pleased, well pleased, to do things your way. And may your Holy Spirit give us this power and this ability to learn, to grow, and to receive what you have for us today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. To quote the great Jerry Lee Lewis, goodness, gracious, great balls of fire. (laughs) Barbara came up last week and she said, that was a good job on that. She said, I'm very interested to see how you handle the likewise. In next week's passage. And you've got to live with that, no doubt. My grandmother told me when I first started preaching, and I'm going to cry because I've cried all weekend. My grandmother told me her, her one advice, one, one piece of advice that she gave me for preaching. Never apologize for something that God has said. That's good advice. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Likewise. Now, Obviously, that connects to something, right? So what is this likewise doing here? 
what's this word likewise pointing back to and, and toward? So like this, then this, right? Well, we definitely know what it's pointing back to. It's what we've been covering the last few weeks. We looked at a big chunk of scripture last week that was talking about how we as Christians, as sojourners and exiles, are supposed to conduct ourselves in the world. Peter said that we are to be subject to every institution, every human institution, to the emperor, the governors, to our masters as servants, whether they're just or unjust. And then he pointed to Jesus as our example on what that looks like in action and how we are to emulate him entrusting himself to his Father, subjecting himself to the righteous, holy, authoritative plan of his Father, and we're to emulate him in what we're doing with these human institutions, whether it be the government or a master. We are to emulate him by being subject, even in unjust situations. Now, today... Likewise, in subjection to just or unjust, like Jesus, likewise, wives. It would seem that the likewise points back to all of what we looked at last week. Citizens subject to the government, uh, servants subject to masters, and Jesus subject to and entrusting himself to his father, likewise, wives. And it says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now that's not hard to interpret, right? In the same way that citizens are, sub- are to subject themselves to the government, even Nero, in the same way that servants are to su- subject themselves to masters, just or unjust, in the same way that the suffering Christ entrusted himself and subjected himself to his father, wives, be subject to your own husbands. It's not hard to understand. Let me start there. It's not hard to understand. We have to make it hard in order to try to not understand what's really going on here. Right? Peter, in this part of his letter, is in the midst of calling on these believers to live as Christians in the midst of a culture that is patently not Christian. He has addressed their role as citizens of the government, as servants to masters, and now he turns to the home setting. And MacArthur points out rightly, he's going from the greater to the lesser in in, 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 in size, but probably the lesser to the greater in magnitude. Okay, Government work, home. So size-wise, government's big, work is a little bit smaller, and family's much smaller than the government. But in importance, this is of first importance. This is where you live your life. This is where you spend the bulk of your time. So how am I to live counterculturally? Towards the government, towards the work, towards the home. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. 
And he starts with wives in the home setting, and likewise wives. And how are these wives to be like the citizens, the servants, and the Christ mentioned before them? Likewise wives, be subject, same word, to your own husbands. Citizens of the government, servants to masters, son to the father, wives to their own husbands. All of these mentioned are to be subject to their counterparts. And here, wives are to be subject to their own husbands. And we've seen that phrase a few times. It's that Greek word, hupotasso, and it means to line up behind or under a commanding officer in military terms or in non-military terms, listen, to voluntarily observe a submissive role to an authority. So wives, in order to be like Jesus, which is every Christian's calling, one of the ways that you do that as a wife is to be subject to your own husbands. Submit to them. Recognize their God-given authority and be subject to that authority. And yes, it is clear from other scriptures, not this one, but from other scriptures, that there is a call in a marriage to mutual submission in both the church and the marriage. Okay? So mutual submission is a thing, and people will point to this and they'll say, yeah, but mutual submission. Those concepts are not enemies of each other. They're friends of each other. We mutually submit to each other, and wives are to be subject to their own husbands. And Paul points out in Ephesians 5 that they do so as a reflection of the model that is Christ and the church. So wives submit to their own husbands as the church submits to Christ. Wayne Grudem points this truth out when he says this, quote, Husbands are never told to be subject, hupotasso, to wives nor the government to citizens, nor masters to servants, nor the disciples to demons, etc. He says, in fact, the term is used outside the New Testament to describe the submission and obedience of soldiers in an army to those of superior rank. End of quote. Now, I really hope and I pray that after all we've seen over the years as a church from the Scriptures, that this is not a cause of stumbling or bristling from anybody who is in Christ in this congregation. The clear, evident teaching of the Bible is that husbands and wives who are covenanted together to live as examples of what the relationship between Christ and the church looks like, that's the whole point of marriage. That's the whole point. That's why you do everything else in a marriage, is to image forth to the world the relationship between Christ and the church. God chose marriage as the institution that he wanted to show that relationship to the world through. No other way. It's marriage. And that's why marriage is so important. That's why we can't compromise on the doctrine of marriage. We'll get into that more later. So in order to show forth that relationship between Christ and the church, these husbands and these wives have plainly delineated roles within that marriage of authority and submission. And here's the phrase that I want you to hear me say and get it clear in your head. It's beautiful when it's biblical. The husband, as the Christ figure, 
is given the role of the authority by God, living to sacrificially love his wife and lay his life down for her. We see that in Ephesians 5. The wife, the church figure, is to respect and submit to the loving authority of her husband, enjoying his particular favor toward her and lining up to be protected, provided for, and led in the way that Christ leads the church. And again, it's beautiful when it's biblical. And here, Peter, writing to Christian wives, affirms this God-breathed order by telling them to be subject to their own husbands. And note that this is not all women be subject to all men. It's a wife to her own husband. Let me tell you what, if any of you fellows try to tell my wife, submit to my authority, she's going to say no. If any of your wives come to me and say, I'm going to submit to your authority like I would my husband, I'm going to say, no, you're not. To your own husbands. Be subject to your own husbands. Which again, serves to clearly show the biblical command and directive is between one man and one woman. No other options. No wiggle room. No exceptions. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. And thank God that there is a biblical model and directive, right? There is the Christ and the church standard for followers of the way. But Peter, by the Holy Spirit, knows that not all these Christian wives are married to Christian men. So then what? Is their marriage invalid in God's eyes? Are they just to forsake their ungodly husband? Are there different rules and roles in that situation? Peter goes on to say that wives are to be subject to their own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word... They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Okay, well. So then if a Christian wife has a non-Christian husband, is she to be subject to him? Yes. Even if he is not fulfilling his Christ role, she is to fulfill her church role. And just like the government, just like masters, unless he asks you to do something directly contrary to God's command, then you have to obey God rather than men. Otherwise, unbelieving husband, a wife is to be subject unto him. She is to fulfill her church role regardless of the husband filling his Christ role or not. Why? So that... Even if some do not obey the word, they may be one. What does that mean? It means saved. She is to live evangelistically in order to show her husband that this new phase she's in or this new hobby she has is neither of those things. She is to be respectful and pure in her conduct. Paul, uh, Peter echoes Paul When Paul says in Ephesians 5.33, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. In both Peter and Paul's writing, the root word for respect is the same one we saw last week, and it's phobos, which is fear. Now, it's not being afraid in a he's going to hurt me way, but rather in an honor and reverence way. 
Peter also said that along with respect, wives are to be pure in their conduct. Again, pretty straightforward. Keep the marriage bed pure. Don't give yourself, wives, whether your husband's a believer or unbeliever, physically, mentally, or emotionally to any other man. And when these unbelieving husbands see their wives conducting themselves in this way, respectfully, in purity, then it's very possible that it will lead to their husbands seeing this wife's God and being drawn to him. And that winning, in Peter's letter, is said to be done without a word. Now note that. It's not what the wife is saying that impresses her husband. It's what she's doing and being that might lead to him being one. I have told so many wives in pastoral and in secular counseling and therapy that they will win not with words, but with their conduct. And note that, wives, the Bible works. And you may say, well, then I need to share the Bible with them. I just need to quote the Bible to them. That's that's words, right? That's partially true. Your unbelieving husband cannot be saved without hearing the gospel. Just like nobody in the world can be saved without hearing the gospel. But your strategy as a wife is not to beat him over the head with a Bible. And I think Begg and MacArthur both said it's not about leaving tracks underneath his pillow. (laughs) Not beating him over the head with a Bible. But rather, listen... Faithfully proclaiming the gospel with your words in a loving way while living in a respectful and pure way. Your threats or your efforts to tell him endlessly of his wrongness pushes him away. And it's not respectful. And Peter makes sure, he makes it clear that your conduct as his wife is a catalyst for gospel reaction in your unbelieving husband's life. It primes the pump for the power of the Holy Spirit to regenerate him. And that's the goal in the case of the unbelieving wife to the unbelieving husband. And the template is true for believing husbands and wives as well. And in verses 3 and 4, Peter goes on with further instructions for wives in their lives with their husbands, believing or unbelieving. Oh, jumped too far, sorry. Do not, we're going to read verses 3 and 4, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Let me say up front, this is not a prohibition for external adorning or of braiding hair or putting on gold jewelry or wearing clothes. You're like, but preacher, that's exactly what it says. That's not the command, okay? The command here is to make sure that your desire, wife, to adorn yourself in order to be subject to your own husband is internal, in your heart. Not to win him, woo him, or keep him externally with your looks. The command is not, don't do this. The command is to do something else instead of that. 
The word adorning means ornament, decoration, or arrangement of something. It's the Greek word cosmos, which means world. It means so order your world that this is what you're doing. And Peter is telling wives in looking to be subject to their own husbands, listen, to make sure that they are decorating themselves, arranging their lives so that their hearts, their inner lives are ordered in a particular way, giving primary and most pressing importance to that heart, not their outer looks. Do not let your adorning be external, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. How do I do that? With the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. I'm afraid that we are so quick to focus on, well, I can't do my hair, I can't wear jewelry, I can't wear fancy clothing. We, we jump to that and we get fixated on that and we miss the point. We're prone to fuss about what Peter says women can't do. He's just like Paul. It's like the same Holy Spirit was speaking through both of them or something. Which again is not even what he's saying anyway. And in doing so, we miss the incredible, joyful, lovely call to decorate yourself with imperishable beauty by cultivating a gentle and quiet spirit. Listen to me, wives. You want to bless your husband? You're like, no. (laughs) That's a problem. Believing or unbelieving, you want to bless your husband, wife? Adorn yourself with an undying beauty of a heart and spirit that are gentle and quiet. And no, Peter's not saying women just need to be quiet. That's not what he's saying. He's saying their hearts, their spirits, their inner selves are to be gentle and quiet, which is so much like their Savior, right? Who described himself as gentle and lowly of heart, calling all who are weary and heavy laden to find their rest in him. That is the picture that Peter is painting here. Listen to me, wives. You want your husband to be attracted to you, to come to you, to love you and lead you well. Emphasize in your life your heart and your spirit and decorate them with gentleness and quietness. Your heart, your heart. A quiet heart, a gentle heart. Emphasize your heart and spirit. You want to talk about beauty? You want to talk about true attractiveness? Our eyes jump to the external, but the heart is drawn to the heart. And I promise you this, and I don't make many promises. You show me a woman whose heart and spirit are gentle and quiet, and I will show you a husband who is magnetically attracted to that wife. He finds his rest and his comfort in her. And he would not trade it for all the hair and jewelry and clothing in the world. And not just her husband. Look at the end of this verse. 
which in God's sight is very precious. Oh my. Now how about that? Peter says that the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit is very precious in God's sight. Wow. So I'll ask you ladies, you wives, what I asked you about your husbands. Do you want to please your God? What does God value? There's not a whole lot of things in Scripture that God calls precious to Him. And if there is something that is described as precious to Him, it ought to be precious to us too. We should hate what He hates and love what He loves. And what's precious to Him should be precious to us. And here, this is overt. This is clear. This is simple. God considers the heart of a wife with the imperishable beauty of a quiet and gentle spirit, precious. That word precious is the same word used to describe the ointment that Mary poured on Jesus' feet in Mark 14 as a sacrificial offering to him. Matter of fact, Judas got so mad, that should have been sold. That's a whole year's wages. That should have been sold and given to the poor. And John says he, he was a thief. He was skimming off the top of the purse. That's why he wanted to sell it. Judas didn't see it as precious. Jesus did. And this beautifully decorated heart, gentle and quiet, is to be poured out like an offering to Jesus as well. And what does it mean to be gentle and quiet? Again, this doesn't need much explanation, right? It's pretty simple and straightforward. You know it when you see it, don't you? Some wives are just, well... Not this. And you can tell instantly most of the time. You can also tell immediately when that heart is gentle and quiet. It's hard to disturb her. It's hard to provoke her. She's not easily upset or rattled. She's not pointing out her rights or how people should treat her. She's also not accusing others or starting trouble with them on her end. She doesn't run down her husband in public or private. She appeals to him. She doesn't accuse him. And it's beautiful and precious. It's beautiful and it's precious to her husband. It's beautiful and precious to her children, her family, her church, and her Lord. Adorn yourself that way, Christian wives. And then Peter goes on to give us an example. And y'all ain't ready for this. You're like, I know what it says. No, maybe you do. He gives us an example of what this looks like, and I think it's both surprising and eternally ambitious. Verses 5 and 6. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Those two verses blow my doors off. Peter says that the holy women who hoped in God, referring as we'll see to the Old Testament saints, embodied this. 
And he zeroes in on one particular Old Testament saint, one particular uh, holy woman in the past, a woman named Sarah. Sarah was Abraham's wife. He says that Sarah, like the holy women who hoped in God, obeyed and submitted to her own husband. And the proof that he gives is that that, that she did this is that she called Abraham Lord. Now some of y'all know about this. Some of you may not have ever thought about it. She called Abraham Lord. Try pitching that in today's culture. Ladies, you are to call your husbands Lord. Everybody's like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that don't sit well with us, does it? <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> Lord means master. It could even mean sir. But even that we bristle at, right? That's how you can prove that you're adorning your heart with beautiful gentleness and quietness. <laughs> yes, sir. Mm-hmm, sir. Whatever, my Lord. Now for sure, times have changed, right? Expectations have changed. And no, I don't think it's prescriptive that women are to verbally call their husbands their Lord. But now watch this. There is one instance in the Bible where we actually get to see slash hear Sarah call Abraham Lord. It's in Genesis 18, 9 to 15. Let me read it for you. I don't have it up there. So they being the angels of the Lord who appear to Abraham, and they're announcing, well, you'll see. They're announcing that the 99-year-old Abraham and 89-year-old Sarah are going to have a, a, a child about this time next year. They said to him, where is Sarah your wife? And he said, she's in the tent where she should be. He didn't say that. <laughs> he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your 89-year-old wife, who will then be around 90, shall have a son. Now watch. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, now they can't see her. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. If y'all want to know what that means, ask your parents. Okay. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? And say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I, the Lord, will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. Now, there's a lot there that we're not going to cover. But did you catch when Sarah called Abraham Lord there? It was while Sarah was listening at the tent door, out of sight of everyone else. And when the Lord says that Sarah's going to have a kid, she laughs to herself and points out to herself the fact that both she and her Lord, Abraham, were hysterically unable to have kids. 
So God must not know what He's talking about. Now put yourself in that moment. There's no walls, no gates, no reservations, no filters here. This is pure Sarah in her own head, in her own self, 100% just being her with no one else in sight, literally. And it's here that she calls Abraham her Lord. Not for show, not lip service, not out of rote, eye-rolling obedience. Yes, my Lord. It's from the very core of who she is. She sees and knows and reacts reflexively with her husband as her Lord, her master, looking at and to him with reverence and unflinching respect even when she is laughing at God. Speaking to no one else but herself in a fit of laughter about the ridiculousness of God's ways. There, Abraham is her Lord. Wow! That's significant. You could not find a better example of what it means to adhere to something in your heart of hearts. And so Peter says, be like her. She's a perfect example. Don't laugh at God. That's probably not the part you need to latch on to. And you are her children. You are her reproductions. You are not just like her. She is a very part of your life. If you do good... And do not fear anything that's frightening. Now that's not just an ending clause to a sentence. That's a mouthful. Peter says his recipients who are wives are to show their respect and love for their husbands even when they know that nobody else is watching or hearing. And he says that their model is their spiritual mother if, two things, if you do good and two, if you don't fear anything that's frightening. So number one's pretty easy. Do good. Do what Sarah did. Respect your husband all the time in the crowd when you're with him and when you're home alone and you're thinking of him. Ooh, yee. That's doing good. And just right living, doing the right things. Okay, so do good. But number two, oh my goodness, number two, do not fear anything that is frightening. Now look at that again. He did not say, if you do not fear. Because I think we could rationalize that and make it sound or feel like we shouldn't have anything to fear. But he didn't just say, don't fear. He said, do not fear anything that is frightening. It's like, this is frightening. Don't be afraid of it. How frightening is it, ladies, to think of being subject to your own husbands? Some of you may say, oh, it's not frightening at all. But others of you would say, puh, scares the foo schnickens out of me. Thank you very much. And maybe rightly so. But Peter says that the thing that frightens you is the very thing you are not to fear. It'd be like me throwing a jar full of tarantulas out there. And going, if you're afraid of spiders, don't be afraid. And you're like, well, I'm out of here because I am afraid of spiders. Don't fear anything that's frightening. Now, I love this. I'm not a woman, but I love this. Peter sees the reality of what it might mean to be subject to any kind of husband. A believer, an unbeliever, a nice man, a mean man, an upstanding citizen, or a rotten drunk. 
It's all a little scary because being subject to any human is a potentially frightening prospect. Because I don't know about, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but humans, especially male ones, are pretty thick. We don't think and feel like you ladies do. We don't. We don't get it. And we're going to talk about that in verse 7, by the way. And knowing that you will be misunderstood, knowing that you will be neglected, knowing that He will say mean things to you, and on and on and on, is a very frightening prospect. And Peter says, don't be afraid of anything that's frightening. Go back to Sarah. They do have their child that year later. She's 90, he's 100, the child of promise. Can you imagine? How wonderful. Is anything too hard for God? No. And one day, Abraham saunters into the tent and says, Hey, uh, Sarah, Sarah, can you get me? No, that's Andy Griffith. Never mind. He saunters into the tent and he says, Hey, Sarah, God wants me to sacrifice Isaac to him. What do you mean by that? He told me to go to this mountain and to sacrifice Isaac, our only son, whom we had in our old age, who is the child that God promises. He wants me to put him on the altar and kill him. Is that frightening? Now check this out. The Bible does not give us any details on that exchange between Abraham and Sarah. We've got the word of the Lord and Abraham's obedience and no explanation in between. All we know is that God said to do it and the next thing we know, Isaac is carrying the firewood for the fire that would have burned him up on the altar after Abraham killed him. Do you reckon that that was a little bit frightening to Sarah? But what do we have in the scriptures to show that she even attempted to dissuade Abraham? Not a thing. Does that mean that she didn't try to argue with him or change his mind or reason through this? No, no, it doesn't mean that. But we do know that it literally came to the point that the killing knife was in the air, raised over the promised child who was on the altar. So God said it. Abraham did it, and we have no sign whatsoever that Abraham tried to deter it at all. Was that whole situation frightening? Yeah. Was Sarah afraid? Our text today at least intimates that the laughing lady who called her husband Lord in the tent by herself did not give in to fear and try to hinder God's work or command in her husband. And you are her children if you do not fear anything that is frightening, even being subject to your own husband. Oh, come and worship. Do not be afraid. Wow. So after six verses for the ladies, we get one whole verse for husbands. That seems right, right? We can't take in a lot of information like you ladies can, right? (laughs) Likewise, there's that word again, husbands. Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel 
since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Likewise, there's that word again. What am I going to do with his likewise? Like citizens to the government, like servants to their masters, like the son to the father, like wives to their husbands, likewise husbands. But look here. Like what Grudem said earlier, the call here is not for husbands to be subject to their wives, but rather for them to wield their authority in a way that shows that they know they have that authority and they are to, with that knowledge, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the weaker vessel. Now, Let me ask you a question, husbands. I'm in the same boat with you. We are fellowshipping together in this boat of husbandship. Do you understand your wife? I'll tell you right now, the answer is no. You don't. And that's not a knock on you or her. You don't understand her. She's wired differently than you are. And there's a lot of things that I look at my wife and go, huh, hmm, I, I, I did not know that. I do not understand that. But the command is not to understand your wife. It's to live with your wives in an understanding way. And if I could appeal to husbands right now, let me tell you what that means. It means to understand that you don't understand. You don't understand female hormones. You don't understand female emotions. You don't understand her thought process. You don't. And you're not going to. So the first step is to understand that you don't understand and to live in such a way that you're showing that you understand that. Live with your wives in an understanding way. I don't get it, and that makes this a lot easier. Fellas, stop trying to understand her and live with her in an understanding way. Anybody ever see that's not about the nail video? Look it up if it's not about the nail. I won't ruin it for you. But they want different things, this man and this woman. He wants to fix things for her. She don't want things to be fixed. That's not what she wants. She wants someone to listen and empathize with her. I can tell that you feel this way, and I'm sorry that you feel that way. And I'm feeling what you're feeling. That's what she wants. Fellas, I think, can I do this? I don't know. No, maybe if I go white. No, I can't. I didn't say that. Strike that from the record. What I I said under my breath, I didn't say that. So, um, if you can start somewhere, start with asking God to help you live with your wife in an understanding way. And get rid of this clause from your vocabulary. If you would just. Get rid of it. 
Don't ever say that to your wife again. If you would just. Also, don't say this. You shouldn't feel that way. Get rid of those phrases. And I mean 100% get rid of those phrases. You shouldn't feel that way, and if you would just. If you start to hear, feel those things coming out of your mouth, stop it. And go to God directly in an arrow prayer and say, God, help me to live with my wife in an understanding way right now. Because when you say, if you would just, you're diminishing everything she's saying. When you tell her you shouldn't feel that way, you're diminishing the way she feels. Stop it. That's not an understanding way. That's a rude, simplistic, very male way of thinking. And stop it. That's not in an understanding way. He goes on to say, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, ladies, don't bristle at that either, okay? It doesn't just mean that your muscles aren't as big as ours, because I am a buff individual, and all this working out has gotten me this far. I'm only 50 pounds shy of losing my 30-pound goal for the year, so... This is not talking about only physical strength. It's implied. It's in there. Okay? And let me tell you, this word weaker means precious. Think priceless vase. When they're fancy, they're vases. When it's just holding flowers, it's a vase. But you've got this, I don't know, Ming Dynasty vase that's like inherited from your great 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 grandmother. And it's it's invaluable. You can't place a value on it. What are you gonna do with that? Drink your milk out of it? Somebody's like, I'm lactose intolerant, I don't drink milk. You're not gonna treat it as something that's ordinary. You're not gonna treat it as something that's plain. You're going to display it. You're going to turn the spotlights on it so that everybody that comes in your house, their eyes are directed to it. And they're like, tell me the story about that thing. Oh, man, that's, that's Ming Dynasty. That is precious. That is the most precious family heirloom that we have. And so we show it honor and we treat it delicately because we don't want to hurt it. We don't want to harm it. We don't want to break it. And we don't let the kids play with it. That's what it means to show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. There is nothing more precious in my life than this. Showing honor to the woman as the most precious vessel that you possess. And she is delicate. She is fragile. And so I understand that. And I live with her in an understanding way. And I protect her. I protect her emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically. Don't y'all mess with my wife. Don't do it. I carry a gun. I better, because, I mean, 
Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel is a beautiful message. Ladies, please don't bristle at that. Please don't go, weaker vessel, I'll show you weaker vessel. No, 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 no. That's not what it means. And then he goes on to qualify that with, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life. So there again, there's equality. When we're talking about being subject to, we're not talking about inequality. That somebody's worth more than somebody else. It's equality. They are heirs with you. Joint heirs with Christ just like you are. When Paul says there's neither male nor female, what he's saying there is there's no rank depending on male or female. And here Peter's saying they're right there with you. The same grace that you get from God is the same grace that they get. And you need to treat them that way. You're not above them. You're not more precious than them. If anything, they're more precious than you. Not to God. But they are heirs with you in the grace of life. So you should show them honor. You should live with them in an understanding way. Why? Because this is directly tied to your relationship with God. How you treat your wife is directly in relationship to your relationship with God. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Listen guys, the ball and chain comments. The my old lady comments. She's crazy comments. You might as well say it about God. Stop it. Honor. Precious. In an understanding way. So that your relationship with God is not strained. Now listen, God loves us unconditionally if we are His. All of our sins are forgiven in Christ. But if you're ever Him hauling around in your prayer life, you're like, man, I, I don't know, man. Start with how you treat your wife. Ask yourself that question first. Am I showing honor to my wife? No, I'm pretty mad at her. We had a big blowout last night. God, please help me to live with this woman in an understanding way. Help me to honor her. Help me to love her the way that you love me and to show her the grace that you showed me. That's a Christian husband. What if your wife's not a believer? Nothing changes. The only thing that changes is your goal is to see her one. She's going to be won by your actions and the gospel that you proclaim with your words and with your life. No difference if she's a believer or unbeliever. This is still the call for Christian husbands. What a passage. I would encourage every Christian husband, every Christian wife to... Memorize this. Pray this on a consistent basis. And I say that convictingly to me. I'm not praying it, and I should be. You want to know how to be a Christian husband and wife? Ephesians 5, near the end, and 1 Peter 3, near the beginning. Pray those things and ask God to help you be those things. We will now turn our attention to application. Four H's. Four H. For you, for America, for H. Oh, dating myself there. I don't know if you may. No shamrock, just uh, four H's today. Her, him, help, holy. Her, him, help, holy. Ladies, wives, I would encourage you, just what I said, to work back through this passage. 
to help point out what this looks like and what is to be done about it. And the main command was to work on your heart. And let that be the primary goal of your focus, of your life, of your work. Help my heart to be gentle and quiet. Let me ask you this, ladies. When is the last time you spent purposefully developing a quiet, gentle spirit? When's the last time you asked God to help you do that? Start today. Maybe it was today. Maybe you've already done that today. God bless you. That's awesome. Does this say, don't get pretty for your husband? No. No. But if that's your only focus, John MacArthur says you're like a mannequin. Everything hanging on the outside with nothing on the inside. You say, but I'm afraid of doing this. We've been married blankety-blank amount of years, and this man has never treated me right. And you're, you're telling me, God's telling me, you, Jason, are telling me that God is telling me to be subject to him anyway. Well, no thank you. That's too frightening for me. Elizabeth Elliot said, There is no remedy for fear except trust. And listen, your trust is not in your husband. Your trust is in the God who can do the impossible. Your trust is in the God who can take your only son and have him sacrificed and bring him back to you. Abraham ended up saying, I believe he can raise him from the dead if that's what God's got to do. And I can imagine that conversation happening in the tent. Sarah, if God's got to bring him back from the dead, he'll do that. And she said, yes, Lord. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. That's God. That's what the scriptures say. If this is frightening to you, don't be afraid. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And yes, this is for wives, but ladies, regardless of your age or station, the grace of God will work with you to help cultivate a gentle and quiet spirit. So that if there is ever a time when you are to have a husband, it will be much easier to be subject to him. But if you never get married, true beauty is a gentle and quiet spirit. Make yourself beautiful that way by the grace of God. So that's her. Him. (laughs) Guys, again, I would just want to reiterate what I've already said. Pray and ask God to help you live with your wives in an understanding way. And by all means, by the power of the Holy Spirit, show her honor as the weaker, most precious vessel that you possess knowing that you are on equal ground before God, the same grace that comes to you comes to her. The same blood that was spilled for you was spilled for her. And so you show her honor knowing that we're even at the foot of the cross. And yet, 
You possess authority in the home, and it is your job to lead your wife and to lay your life down for her like Christ did the church. Every day, climb back up on that cross for your wife. Every day. Well, you don't know my wife. I don't have to, but you do. And you are to live with her in an understanding way. You are to show her honor as the weaker vessel. She is even, she is a joint heir with Christ just like you are. And if you're not carrying that out, watch out for your prayer life because it's going to be hindered if you're not treating your wife the way you're supposed to, husbands. Her, him, help. talking to somebody this week and they made this statement and they know who they are. This cannot be done as a husband, as a wife without the context of a Christian community. Your home is not your castle. We're being built together as living stones into a dwelling place for God. That's your castle. Okay? None of this is possible or sustainable without the power of the one who designed it. And none of this can be done in isolation. If you've got yourself locked up in your house and you don't want any input into your marriage, if you don't want any help in dealing with one another, you can't do this. Only in the power of the Holy Spirit in fellowship with other believers who are struggling in the same way that you are can this be effectively done. You can't do it by yourself. Husband or wife or husband and wife. It only works in the context of community. And like everything that Peter's preaching here, it's countercultural. And you can't do that by yourself. And let me say this very clearly, very plainly, very forcefully. Nothing in this passage is a call to be abused or hurt in any way. You don't stay gentle and quiet and submit to abuse. You run to those who are your protection and your help within the church body and say, I need help to be safe. And you get yourself and the rest of the members of your family safe. And that can't be done without help. That can't be done outside the context of a Christian community that's going to take you in and help you work out your differences so that you can be a Christian husband and a Christian wife and show the relationship between Christ and the church in your marriage. And yes, there is a call to mutual submission, to submitting to one another. But like I said before, that's not an enemy of this passage. That doesn't contradict this passage. It complements it. Knowing the roles of authority and submission in the home, in the marriage, is Absolutely, positively necessary for there to be mutual submission to where you can submit to one another because you know your role, the rock said. Know your role. And know the role of the Christian community around you to help you do these things. Her, him, help, and finally, holy. Please listen to what I'm about to say. 
God's way is best. His design is always for His glory and our good. And God's design is for husbands to wield the authority in the home that is given to the Christ figure in the home and wives to be subject to their own husbands as the church is subject to Christ. And that is the best possible design there can be. Well, I don't like it. Well, then pray and ask God to help you like it. As for this God, His way is perfect. And His way is the authority of the husband and the submission of the wife. And it's beautiful when it's biblical. And you move from got to to get to. Well, I have to be subject to my own husband. Oh man, to move to, I get to be subject to this man who loves me and lays his life down for me. I got to lay my wife life down for my wife to I get to serve this beautiful, lovely, priceless treasure that God has given me. And it's not a burden, it's a joy because God's way is best. And we cannot just try to see if we can do it ourselves. We can't just try harder to do better. Listen, God's way is best and we need the power of the Holy Spirit of God to help us do what He has called us to. And what we've seen today is plain what He's called us to. So go to God and ask Him to help you be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Because that's His design. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your perfect plan, your perfect way, your perfect design, your perfect model, your perfect word. God, thank you for the beauty that is Christian marriage, which is the only marriage that there is because it's ordained from your very inspiration. God, you have designed this from the beginning. One man, one woman, to the praise of your glorious grace. Help us as believers, as followers of Jesus, to not look at our situation and modify your plan according to our situation. Help us to see your beautiful, powerful design and be obedient in the power of your Holy Spirit to show this wonderful picture to a lost and dying world. We need your help. And you said you would never leave us nor forsake us. You told us to cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us. Help us as husbands, help us as wives to do these things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body and marriage, I'll add, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed, but stay and eat with us if you can.